Story eleven of Christmas Stories by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story eleven Going into Society. At one period of its reverses, the house fell into the occupation of a showman. He was found registered as its occupier on the parish books of the time when he rented the house, and there was therefore no need of any clue to his name but he himself was less easy to be found for he had led a wandering life and settled people had lost sight of him and people who plumed themselves on being respectable were shy of admitting that they had ever known anything of him at last among the marshlands near the river's level that lie about deptford and the neighbouring market-gardens a grizzled personage in velveteen with a face so cut up by varieties of weather that he looked as if he had been tattooed was found smoking a pipe at the door of a wooden house on wheels the wooden house was laid up in ordinary for the winter near the mouth of a muddy creek and everything near it the foggy river the misty marshes and the steaming market-gardens smoked in company with the grizzled man in the midst of this smoking party the funnel chimney of the wooden house on wheels was not remiss but took its pipe with the rest in a companionable manner on being asked if it were he who had once rented the house to let grizzled velveteen looked surprised and said yes then his name was magsman that was it toby magsman which lawfully christened robert but called in the line from an infant toby there was nothing again toby magsman he believed if there was suspicion of such mention it there was no suspicion of such he might rest assured but some inquiries were making about that house and would he object to say why he left it not at all why should he he left it along of a dwarf along of a dwarf mr magsman repeated deliberately and emphatically along of a dwarf might it be compatible with mr magsman's inclination and convenience to enter as a favour into a few particulars mr magsman entered into the following particulars it was a long time ago to begin with a four lotteries and a deal more was done away with mr magsman was looking about for a good pitch and he see that house and he says to himself i'll have you if you're to be had if money'll get you i'll have you the neighbours cut up rough and made complaints but mr magsman don't know what they would have had it was a lovely thing first of all there was the canvas representin the picture of the giant in spanish trunks and a ruff who was himself half the height of the house and was run up with the line and pulley to a pole on the roof so that his edge was coeval with the parapet then there was the canvas representin the picture of the albany lady showing her white hair to the army and navy in correct uniform then there was the canvas representin the picture of the wild indian a scalpin a member of some foreign nation then there was the canvas representin the picture of a child of a british planter seized by two boa constrictors not that we never had no child nor no constrictors neither similarly there was the canvas representin the picture of the wild ass of the prairies not that we never had no wild asses nor wouldn't have had them as a gift last there was the canvas representin the picture of the dwarf and like him too considerin with 
george the fourth in such a state of astonishment at him as his majesty couldn't with his utmost politeness and stoutness express the front of the house was so covered with canvases that there wasn't a spark of daylight ever visible on that side magsman's amusements fifteen foot long by two foot high ran over the front door and parlour windows the passage was a arbour of green bays and garden stuff a barrel organ performed there unceasing and as to respectability if threepence ain't respectable what is but the dwarf is the principal article at present and he was worth the money he was wrote up as major chipskoffy of the imperial bulgradarian brigade nobody couldn't pronounce the name and it never was intended anybody should the public always turned it as a regular rule into chopsky in the line he was called chops partly on that account and partly because his real name if he ever had any real name which was very dubious was stakes he was an uncommon small man he really was certainly not so small as he was made out to be but where is your dwarf as is he was a most uncommon small man with a most uncommon large ed and what he had inside that ed nobody ever knowed but himself even supposing himself to have ever took stock of it which it would have been a stiff job for even him to do the kindest little man as never growed spirited but not proud when he travelled with the spotted baby though he knowed himself to be a natural dwarf and knowed the baby spots to be put upon him artificial he nursed that baby like a mother you never heerd him give a ill name to a giant he did allow himself to break out into strong language respectin the fat lady from norfolk but that was an affair of the art and when a man's art has been trifled with by a lady and the preference given to a indian he ain't master of his actions he was always in love of course every human natural phenomenon is and he was always in love with a large woman i never knowed the dwarf as could be got to love a small one which helps to keep em the curiosities they are one singular idea he had in that ed of his which must have meant something or it wouldn't have been there it was always his opinion that he was entitled to property he never would put his name to anything he had been taught to write by the young man without arms who got his living with his toes quite a writing-master he was and taught scores in the line but chops would have starved to death afore he'd have gained a bit of bread by putting his hand to a paper this is the more curious to bear in mind because he had no property nor hope of property except his house and a sarcer when i say his house i mean the box painted and got up inside like a regular six-roomer that he used to creep into with a diamond ring or quite as good to look at on his forefinger and ring a little bell out of what the public believed to be the drawing-room window and when i say a sarcer i mean a chaney sarcer in which he made a collection for himself at the end of every entertainment his cue for that he took from me ladies and gentlemen the little man will now walk three times round the carawan and retire behind the curtain when he said anything important in private life he mostly wound it up with this form of words and they was generally the last thing he said to me at night afore he went to bed 
he had what i consider a fine mind a poetic mind his ideas respectin his property never come upon him so strong as when he sat upon a barrel organ and had the handle turned arter the vibration had run through him a little time he would screech out toby i feel my property comin grind away i'm countin my guineas by thousands toby grind away toby i shall be a man of fortin i feel the mint a jinglin in me toby and i'm swellin out into the bank of england such is the influence of music on a poetic mind not that he was partial to any other music but a barrel organ on the contrary hated it he had a kind of everlasting grudge agin the public which is a thing you may notice in many phenomenons that get their living out of it what riled him most in the nature of his occupation was that it kept him out of society he was continually saying toby my ambition is to go into society the curse of my position towards the public is that it keeps me out of society this don't signify to a low beast of a indian he ain't formed for society this don't signify to a spotted baby he ain't formed for society i am nobody never could make out what chops done with his money he had a good salary down on the drum every saturday as the day come round besides having the run of his teeth and he was a woodpecker to eat but all dwarfs are the sarser was a little income bringing him in so many halfpence that he'd carry em for a week together tied up in a pocket-handkercher and yet he never had money and it couldn't be the fat lady from norfolk as was once supposed because it stands to reason that when you have a animosity towards a indian which makes you grind your teeth at him to his face and which can hardly hold you from goosing him audible when he's going through his war-dance it stands to reason you wouldn't under them circumstances deprive yourself to support that indian in the lap of luxury most unexpected the mystery come out one day at egham races the public was shy of being pulled in and chops was ringin his little bell out of his drawing-room winder and was snarlin to me over his shoulder as he kneeled down with his legs out at the back door for he couldn't be shoved into his house without kneeling down and the premises wouldn't accommodate his legs was snarlin here's a precious public for you why the devil don't they tumble up when a man in the crowd holds up a carrier pigeon and cries out if there's any person here that has got a ticket the lottery just drawed and the number as has come up for the great prize is three seven forty two three seven forty two i was given the man to the furies myself for calling off the public's attention for the public will turn away at any time to look at anything in preference to the thing showed em and if you doubt it get em together for any individual purpose on the face of the earth and send only two people in late and see if the whole company ain't far more interested in taking particular notice of them two than of you i say i wasn't best pleased with the man for calling out and wasn't blessin him in my own mind when i see chops little bell fly out of the winder at an old lady and he gets up and kicks his box over exposin the whole secret and he catches hold of the calves of my legs and he says to me carry me into the wan toby and throw a pail of water over me or i'm a dead man for i've come into my property 
twelve thousand odd hundred pound was chops's winnings he had bought a half ticket for the twenty five thousand prize and it had come up the first use he made of his property was to offer to fight the wild indian for five hundred pound aside him with a poisoned darnin needle and the indian with a club but the indian being in want of backers to that amount it went no further arter he had been mad for a week in a state of mind in short of which if he had let him sit on the organ for only two minutes i believe he would have bust but we kept the organ from him mr chops come round and behaved liberal and beautiful to all he then sent for a young man he knowed as had a wary genteel appearance and was a bonnet at a gaming booth most respectable brought up father having been eminent in the livery stable line but unfortunate in a commercial crisis through painting a old grey ginger bay and selling him with a pedigree and mr chops said to this bonnet who said his name was normandy which it wasn't normandy i'm a-goin into society will you go with me says normandy do i understand you mr chops to hintimate that the whole of the expense of that move will be borne by yourself correct says mr chops and you shall have a princely allowance too the bonnet lifted mr chops upon a chair to shake hands with him and replied in poetry with his eyes seemingly full of tears my boat is on the shore and my bark is on the sea and i do not ask for more but i'll go along with thee they went into society with a che and four greys with silk jackets they took lodgings in pell-mell london and they blazed away in consequence of a note that was brought to bartlemy fair in the autumn of next year by a servant most wonderful got up in milk-white cords and tops i cleaned myself up and went to pell-mell one evening a panted the gentleman was at their wine arter dinner and mr chop's eyes were more fixed in that ed of his than i thought good for him there was three of em in company i mean and i knowed the third well when last met he had on a white roman shirt and a bishop's mitre covered with leopard skin and played the clarinet all wrong in a band at a wild beast show this gentleman took on not to know me and mr chops said gentlemen this is a old friend of former days and normandy looked at me through a eyeglass and said magsman glad to see you which i'll take my oath he wasn't mr chops to get him convenience to the table had his chair on a throne much of the form of george the fourth in the canvas but he hardly appeared to me to be a king there in any other point of view for his two gentlemen ordered about like emperors they was all dressed like may-day gorgeous and as to wine they swam in all sorts i made the round of the bottles first separate to say i had done it and then mixed em all together to say i had done it and then tried two of em as half and half and then t'other two altogether i passed a pleasin evenin but with a tendency to feel muddled until i considered it good manners to get up and say mr chops the best of friends must part i thank you for the wirety of a foreign drains you have stood so handsome i looks towards you in red wine and i takes my leave mr chops replied if you just hitch me out of this over your right arm magsman and carry me downstairs i'll see you out i said i couldn't think of such a thing but he would have it so i lifted him off his throne 
he smelt strong of madeiri and i couldn't help thinking as i carried him down that it was like carrying a large bottle full of wine with a rather ugly stopper and a good deal out of proportion when i set him on that doormat in the hall he kept me close to him by holding on to my coat collar and he whispers i ain't happy magsman what's on your mind mr chops they don't use me well they ain't grateful to me they puts me on the mantelpiece when i won't have in more champagne wine and they locks me in the sideboard when i won't give up my property get rid of em mr chops i can't we're in society together and what would society say come out of society says i i can't you don't know what you're talking about when you have once gone into society you mustn't come out of it then if you'll excuse the freedom mr chops were my remarks shaking my head grave i think it's a pity you ever went in mr chops shook that deep head of his to a surprising extent and slapped it half a dozen times with his hand and with more whites than i thought were in him then he says you're a good fellow but you don't understand good night go along magsman the little man will now walk three times round the caravan and retire behind the curtain the last i see o him on that occasion was his tryin on the extremest words of insensibility to climb up the stairs one by one with his hands and knees they'd have been much too steep for him if he'd been sober but he wouldn't be helped it warn't long after that that i read in the newspaper of mr chops being presented at court it was printed it will be recollected and i've noticed in my life that it is sure to be printed that it will be recollected whenever it won't that mr chops is the individual of small stature whose brilliant success in the last state lottery attracted so much attention well i says to myself such is life he has been and done it in earnest at last he has astonished george the fourth on account of which i had that canvas new painted him with a bag of money in his hand a presentin it to george the fourth and a lady in ostrich feathers fallen in love with him in a bag wig sword and buckles correct i took the house as is the subject of present inquiries though not the honour of being acquainted and i run magsman's amusements in it thirteen months sometimes one thing sometimes another sometimes nothing particular but always all the canvases outside one night when we had played the last company out which was a shy company through its raining heavens hard i was taken a pipe in the one pair back along with the young man with the toes which i had taken on for a month though he never drawed except on paper and i heard a kickin at the street door hello i says to the young man what's up he rubs his eyebrows with his toes and he says i can't imagine mr magsman which he never could imagine nothin and was monotonous company the noise not leavin off i laid down my pipe and i took up a candle and i went down and opened the door i looked out into the street but nothin could i see and nothin was i aware of until i turned round quick because some creature run between my legs into the passage there was mr chops magsman he says take me on the old terms and you've got me if it's done say done i was all of amazed but i said done sir done to your done and double done says he have you got a bit of supper in the house bearin in mind them sparkling varieties of foreign drains as we'd guzzled away 
at in pell-mell i was ashamed to offer him cold sausages and gin and water but he took em both and took em free havin a chair for his table and sittin down at it on a stool like old times i all of a maze all the while it was arter he had made a clean sweep of the sassages beef and to the best of my calculations two pound and a quarter that the wisdom as was in that little man began to come out of him like perspiration magsman he says look upon me you see afore you one as has both gone into society and come out oh you are out of it mr chops how did you get out sir sold out says he you never saw the like of the wisdom as his head expressed when he made use of them two words my friend magsman i'll impart to you a discovery i've made it's wallable it cost twelve thousand five hundred pound it may do you good in life the secret of this matter is that it ain't so much that a person goes into society as that society goes into a person not exactly keeping up with his meanin i shook my head put on a deep look and said you're right there mr chops magsman he says twitchin me by the leg society has gone into me to the tune of every penny of my property i felt that i went pale and though naturally a bold speaker i couldn't hardly say where's normandy bolted with the plate said mr chops and t'other one meaning him as formerly wore the bishop's mitre bolted with the jewels said mr chops i sat down and looked at him and he stood up and looked at me magsman he says and he seemed to himself to get wiser as he got hoarser society taken in the lump is all dwarfs at the court of st james they was all a-doin my old business all a-goin three times round the carawan in the old court suits and properties elsewheres they was more of em ringin their little bells out o make-believes everywheres the sarser was a-goin round magsman the sarser is a universal institution i perceived you understand that he was soured by his misfortunes and i felt for mr chops as to fat ladies says he giving his head a tremendous one agin the wall there's lots of them in society and worse than the original hers was a outrage upon taste simply a outrage upon taste awakenin' contempt carryin its own punishment in the form of a indian here he give himself another tremendous one but theirs magsman theirs is a mercenary outrages lay in cashmere shawls buy bracelets strew em and a lot of ansom fans and things about your rooms let it be known that you give away like water to all as come to admire and the fat ladies that don't exhibit for so much down upon the drum will come from all the pints of a compass to flock upon you wherever you are they'll drill holes in your art magsman like a cullender and when you've no more left to give they'll laugh at you to your face and leave you to have your bones picked dry by wolters like the dead wild ass of the prairies that you deserve to be here he give himself the most tremendous one of all and dropped i thought he was gone his head was so heavy and he knocked it so hard and he fell so stony and the sassagerial disturbance in him must have been so immense that i thought he was gone but he soon come round with care and he sat up on the floor and he said to me with wisdom coming out of his eyes if ever it come magsman the most material difference between the two states of existence through which your unhappy friend has passed 
he reached out his poor little hand and his tears dropped down on the mustachio which it was a credit to him to have done his best to grow but it is not in mortals to command success the difference is this when i was out of society i was paid light for being seen when i went into society i paid heavy for being seen i prefer the former even if i wasn't forced upon it give me out through the trumpet and in the hold away to-morrow utter that he slid into the line again as easy as if he had been isled all over but the organ was kept from him and no allusions was ever made when a company was in to his property he got wiser every day his views of society and the public was luminous bewildering awful and it egg got bigger and bigger as his wisdom expanded it he took well and pulled them in most excellent for nine weeks at the expiration of that period when his ed was a sight he expressed one evening the last company having been turned out and the door shut a wish to have a little music mr chops i said i never drop the mister with him the world might do it but not me mr chops are you sure as you are in a state of mind and body to sit upon the organ his answer was this toby when next met with on the tramp i forgive her and the indian and i am it was with fear and trembling that i began to turn the handle but he sat like a lamb it will be my belief to my dying day that i see his head expand as he sat you may therefore judge how great his thoughts was he sat out all the changes and then he come off toby he says with a quiet smile the little man will now walk three times round the caravan and retire behind the curtain when we called him in the morning we found him gone into a much better society than mine or pell-mell's i give mr chops as comfortable a funeral as lay in my power followed meself as chief and had the george the fourth canvas carried first in the form of a banner but the house was so dismal arterwards that i give it up and took to the wan again i don't triumph said jarber folding up the second manuscript and looking hard at trottle i don't triumph over this worthy creature i merely ask him if he's satisfied now how can he be anything else i said answering for trottle who sat obstinately silent this time jarber you have not only read us a delightful amusing story but you have also answered the question about the house of course it stands empty now who would think of taking it after it had been turned into a caravan i looked at trottle as i said those last words and jarber waved his hand indulgently in the same direction let this excellent person speak said jarber you were about to say my good man i only wish to ask sir said trottle doggedly if you could kindly oblige me with a date or two in connection with that last story a date repeated jarber what does the man want with dates i should be glad to know with great respect persisted trottle if the person named magsman was the last tenant who lived in the house it's my opinion if i may be excused for giving it that he most decidedly was not with those words trottle made a low bow and quietly left the room there is no denying that jarber when we were left together looked sadly discomposed he had evidently forgotten to inquire about dates and in spite of his magnificent talk about his series of discoveries it was quite as plain that the two stories he had just read had really and truly exhausted his present stock 
i thought myself bound in common gratitude to help him out of his embarrassment by a timely suggestion so i proposed that he should come to tea again on the next monday evening the thirteenth and should make such inquiries in the meantime as might enable him to dispose triumphantly of trottle's objection he gallantly kissed my hand made a neat little speech of acknowledgment and took his leave for the rest of the week i would not encourage trottle by allowing him to refer to the house at all i suspected he was making his own inquiries about dates but i put no questions to him on monday evening the thirteenth that dear unfortunate jarber came punctual to the appointed time he looked so terribly harassed that he was really quite a spectacle of feebleness and fatigue i saw at a glance that the question of dates had gone against him that mr magsman had not been the last tenant of the house and that the reason of its emptiness was still to seek what i have gone through said jarber words are not eloquent enough to tell oh sophonisba i have begun another series of discoveries accept the last two as stories laid on your shrine and wait to blame me for leaving your curiosity unappeased until you have heard number three number three looked like a very short manuscript and i said as much jarber explained to me that we were to have some poetry this time in the course of his investigations he had stepped into the circulating library to seek for information on the one important subject all the library people knew about the house was that a female relative of the last tenant as they believed had just after that tenant left sent a little manuscript poem to them which she described as referring to events that had actually passed in the house and which she wanted the proprietor of the library to publish she had written no address on her letter and the proprietor had kept the manuscript ready to be given back to her the publishing of poems not being in his line when she might call for it she had never called for it and the poem had been lent to jarber at his express request to read to me before he began i rang the bell for trottle being determined to have him present at the new reading as a wholesome check on his obstinacy to my surprise peggy answered the bell and told me that trottle had stepped out without saying where i instantly felt the strongest possible conviction that he was at his old tricks and that his stepping out in the evening without leave meant philandering controlling myself on my visitor's account i dismissed peggy stifled my indignation and prepared as politely as might be to listen to jarber End of story 11